Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Uh, we're going to get into some of the Word of God, which sounds pretty good. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeet fully. Uh, I am pumped to be talking on Philippians 2 tonight. Um, did everyone get around to reading it this week? Yeah, yeah. Everyone was a great Bible reader this week. That's awesome. And uh, we're going to go through this book tonight. I'm going to preach just a little bit different. I'm going to get um, all expository up in here just for a bit. So basically, yeah, come on, I'm, uh, we're going to go through, well, uh, to the best of my ability, we're going to go from verses 1 to verses 18 of Philippians 2. And so I encourage you, if you've got a Bible here, bust that bad boy open, get out your glittery highlighters, whatever you use. I, I use a pencil. Um, and we're, we're going to really dig into this word here. And the reason why I feel to just kind of go verse 1 to verse 18 in this is because I'm convinced, and so should we all be convinced, that the Bible is the word of God. And I know that, and the Bible is truth, but I am also convinced that God doesn't just rest in one book of the Bible, or that he doesn't just rest in, you know, John 3.16, Malachi um, 3.10, and Proverbs 3.5-6, and the rest, you know, it's, it's got a bit of annoying, but those are the real ones. Like, I, honestly, I'm, I'm convinced that God is in every single book, every single chapter, every single verse, every single sentence, every single word, and that there's something for us to pull out from that, that we might hear the word of God, and it might change our lives. So I'm excited to go through this. Uh, another reason why I wanted to go through just from verse 1 to 18 is I'm a massive completionist. Like, I'm going to relate to some teenagers here. I don't know, like, if you ever played Lego Star Wars, like, who knows? You don't play Lego Star Wars to have fun. You play it to get all of those flipping characters and everything. You play it to 100% that game. Anyone with me? Just me? Uh, unrelatable analogies. That's me, 101. Um, actually, maybe a bit more relatable if maybe you're a parent here or something. You know, if you ask your kid to unsack the dishwasher and they do everything except one plate, who knows? You're not happy about that, right? We need 100% done. There's, we got these completionist tendencies in all of us. That is the truth. Um, amen. My mom's um, nodding along right now to that one. Uh, she's here tonight. So I didn't tell my mom I was preaching tonight because I had a busy week. So thank you for coming, mom and dad. Love you. And grandma, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. She wasn't happy. I got home at 4 o'clock. She's like, oh, I heard you preaching tonight. I was like, oh, oh, So just wooden brownie points back. Um, <laughs> so Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 18 is what we're doing tonight. Um, but before we crack into it, why don't we pray? Lord God, I just thank you that, Lord, you're so present here, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your word, Lord, that you've given us scripture that we might begin to know you more, Lord. And we just pray, God, that through tonight that would happen, that we would know your will more and more, God, and your Holy Spirit would move through us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would just move through what I've got to say, Lord, Father, because it's not what I've got to say, it's what you've got to say. And I just pray, Lord, Father, that you would just be able to speak revelation, Jesus. You would be able to speak hope, God. You would be able to speak truth, Lord, Father, through this platform tonight. In your mighty name, we declare, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. So, um, I know we all did do um, Philippians chapter 2 this week, but um, what I wanted to do is just read it again for a refresher and uh, just in case um, there's anyone here that didn't read it, but there's no one there like that, right? Um, So, we'll we'll go go from um, verse 1. This will probably take two minutes, okay, but I encourage you, lock in. Um, So, Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. So good. So good. There's a lot of talking. So um, we're going to split this up into three parts. Um, and we'll flick to that next slide. Um, we're going to go verses 1 to 4 first. So I'm just going to kind of break these into different themes. So verses 1 to 4 is talking about unity. Um, verses 5 to 11 is talking about Christology. That's just a fancy schmancy word to say the study of Christ or figuring out who Christ is. Um, and then the last bit... It's, it's, it, there's a lot in the last bit, but I'm just kind of going to funnel it under God with us. So if you're taking notes, feel free to write that down. I, I find it helpful just to be able to kind of condense things into little blocks. Um, but why don't we kick this off by um, talking about unity. So if we look at the first two verses of Philippians 2 here, um, I think we can honestly begin to, um, I think it's easy to understand if we read it backwards. If we read verse 2 first and then verse 1, um, which I didn't put the markers on here, um, but verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 2 starts at complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. What Paul is saying here is he wants us as a church, he's writing to the church, the church of Philippi, but to the church, the global, universal, every Christian, he's writing to all of us right now and saying that he wants us to be unified. And how many know it's good to be unified, right? It's good to have some unity. And, and what Paul does here is he gives us four reasons to be unified. He says we should be unified if there's encouragement in Christ, if there's solace and love, if there's participation in the Spirit, and if there's compassion and mercy. Or as I've written it, um, why should we have unity? This is what Paul is saying. Because Christ has given us a hope. Because love is more comfortable than hate. Come on. Because we participate in the same Holy Spirit and because God is merciful on us. Now, let me explain that. And I'll go with the first point here. Okay, if there is any encouragement in Christ, what is it to encourage someone? To encourage someone is to give them hope, is to give them support, is to give them confidence, is to do all these things. And what Paul is writing here is that this is what Jesus has done for us. He's given us confidence. He's given us hope. He's given us... What was the other thing I said? Security. He's encouraged us. That's what Christ has done for us. And so why should we, even if someone's hurt us, even if someone has done something in this church to lose our trust, why should we not extend the same things unto them? Because the fact is, is that we hurt Christ in our sin. We gave Jesus all the reason not to trust us by rejecting him, you know, before we gave our lives to him. And yet he still chose to encourage us. And so what Paul was writing here is if there's any encouragement in Christ, then let's be unified. Point number two for unity, if there's any comfort in love. Up there, I think the word is solace. That's just another fancy schmancy word for comfort, basically. Um, <laughs> fancy schmancy. I uh, love it. Um, if there's any comfort in love, I can guarantee... It tr- 
Has anyone, like, just imagine you're in a room with someone that you don't like. Obviously, we like everyone, so you can't imagine this. But just, just have a thought experiment. Imagine there's someone that you don't like in the world, and you're in a room with them. Are you going to be comfortable in that position? No. no. There is no comfort in hate. There is none of it at all. And so what Paul is writing here is that he wants us to be able to have inner peace. He wants us to be able to be comfortable wherever we're at, to be able to be unified, to be able to shred hate so that we can begin to live in love with one another. Hey, why don't you, I just want to get light because we've got all the Bible. Why don't we just get light for a second? I want you to turn to the person next to you behind you. Just tell them you love them, all right? Just see how it feels, all right? And you can just give them a nod if, you, if it's too awkward. Just give them a nod. Give them a wave. Give them a smile. Yeah. It feels good. We feel comfortable, right? Everyone's laughing. Suddenly you went from this to this. Hey, if you're a young adult here and that person's single, just go buy Nando's after this. You're welcome. Um, Nando's is the way to any young adult's heart, specifically mine and Nick's. That's the facts. Um, <laughs> if there's any comfort in love, let's be unified, right? It's nothing worse than than just not liking someone. It's just not fun, you know? Unity is what we need. Uh, reason number three for unity, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Now, I had the awesome opportunity to go to, uh, well, to a night of youth camp um, a few weeks ago. can't remember. How goes youth camp? Come on. So good. I was on it. I, I can't believe I had to, like, you know, prompt that. I was expecting as soon as the word came out of my mouth, all the teenagers go crazy. Come on. Let's go, teenagers. Um, but I remember being there on a night, and there was, like... It, just to give a picture for anyone that wasn't there, youth camp happens in this, like, I don't know how they fit a thousand teenagers or a thousand people into this tent. It just is impossible. That's a miracle in itself, of all the miracles that happen in youth camp, is fitting all the teenagers there. But I was there for this beautiful moment. It was, you know, they'd been worshipping for a while, and there was just one song, and it was quiet, but you could just hear every single voice ringing out, um, myself included. I was, I was in it. I was, I was worshipping beautifully. Um, uh, <laughs> jokes. Um, and I, I remember just being there, and I just felt the Holy Spirit just prompt me and say, this is what heaven looks like. It looks like all my people in just unity, sitting there in my presence, participating in the Holy Spirit, just bringing worship to my name. And I, I got goosebumps. I was like, this is awesome. And I, I want to challenge us. It's not very easy to participate in the Holy Spirit. It's not very easy to worship if we've got a problem with the person next to us. Or, or even worse, if we've got a problem with the person on stage, that's going to be hard. But God wants you to participate in the Holy Spirit. God wants you to begin to um, come into worship and give Him all you've got, because that's what heaven looks like, and He wants us to enter into that right there. So, reason three for unity, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Reason four for unity, if there is any compassion and mercy. Um, see, this one's easy. God's had compassion and mercy on us. Does everyone know the story in the Bible about the man whose debt was forgiven, you know, like a million dollars? Then he goes, after that debt is forgiven him, he goes to someone who owes him a debt, five dollars, and just begins to go hard on him, be like, give me my five dollars or I'll throw you in jail. Jesus says, this is what it's like when we don't forgive those after God has forgiven us. When we don't show mercy to those who, when God has shown mercy on us. And so, I, the reason why I want to bring this is, well, it's in Philippians too, but also I honestly believe that if... If you don't need this tonight, you're going to need it in the future, because we're all broken people, you know? We're, sure, we're a church, and we're, we're, we're moving forward with the Holy Spirit, but we all make mistakes, you know? People on platform and off platform, 100%, and we need to grasp this, is that unity is more important than hate. Unity is more important than holding a grudge, and you've got four reasons right here. So if you ever feel yourself like, man, I've got some unforgiveness to deal through, jump into Philippians 2, 1 to 4. It's going to help you. Let me tell you that. Awesome. All right. We got one down. How much time we got? All right, we're good. All right, second part, verses 5 to 11. 
Uh, oh, wait, no, I, I missed a bit. Sorry, verses three to four. I only did two verses. Wow. All right, uh, just kidding. Um, so verses three to four, I, I'm not going to labor on this because I really think it kind of speaks for itself. Um, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, just take in mind, this is in connection with that whole unity part here. So what Paul is, I think what we can get out of this is that unity will always, selfless, selflessness will always bring unity, and a lack of conceit or a lack of vanity will always bring unity. God has called us to be a selfless people, to be a people that puts others before ourselves. He's not saying that we're not equal. He's not saying that we need to grovel and be like, oh, Pastor Nick's so much better than me. He might be more better than me, uh, me personally, but no, I'm kidding. God's made us all equal. That was a joke. That was, it didn't land. That's all right. I'm, I'm not. It's, God's made us all equal, right? But what he's telling us, <laughs> thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. What he's, what he's telling us is that, hey, I made you all equal, but I put others' interests before myself, Jesus. I went to the cross to put the interests of everything else. That's my nature. I want you to participate on that. I want you, that person next to you, hey, you might have a lot going on in your week, but I want you to look after them. That's the nature of God, and that's what we're called to imitate. Awesome. All right, next part. Um, Christology. Like I said, fancy schmancy um, study of Christ, looking into Christ. If you're a Christian, it's really good that you know who Christ is. Um, like, you wouldn't call yourself a business person but know nothing about business, right? That's just a bad look. Uh, and so get, getting to know Christ, it's, it's, pretty, it's an important part of being a Christian, right? I know, I'm, I'm, I know this is obvious knowledge, but to be honest, I need a reminder of it sometimes myself. I'm like, man, when was the last time I thought about Jesus? You know, I think about God and church and worship, but when did I, start, when did I think about Jesus last? Um, yeah, good point. Um, so... Um, Three things that I want to look at in this next section here. Um, uh, one, and I'm just, there is so much you can pull out of this, but just for the sake of time. Uh, one thing I want to look at is that Jesus rejected Adam's sin. The next thing is that Jesus is preexistent, And the last thing is that Jesus is Lord. So we'll start with that first part there. Um, and I'm not going to explain the story of Adam and Eve. If you don't know it, I'm sorry. Our public school has failed you. Uh, just kidding. Not getting political up in here. We run a great RI program for, uh, through this church. Um, talk to uh, Connect Team. They'll sign you up. Um, <laughs> Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Adam ate the apple because he wanted to be God. That, that was the original sin, is Adam wanted to take his life into his hands, not trusting what God had in store for him, but instead saying, no, I want to do my own thing. I'm going to eat that apple. I want to be my own God, my own rule, my life. And that, that story in Genesis 1, that is a story which reflects our human nature, the sinful nature of us, is that in reality, every single one of us, you know, before Jesus, without Jesus, we want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. We want to make our own rules. We want to live our own life here. And what this scripture behind me is illustrating is that Jesus, the one who was equal to God, the one who had every right to grab the apple from the tree and eat it because he is God, he actually did the opposite of what Adam did. He lowered himself. 
Adam was a man who wanted to elevate himself to God from his own merits. Jesus is God who lowers himself to become man. Jesus is the opposite of Adam. Does that make sense? It's not too, it's not too complicated. I know some of the stuff might look a touch, it's really, it's, it's basic. This is the God we worship. He is the opposite of the original sin. He is the opposite of everything that went wrong in Genesis 1 and 2. He is, Jesus is the one without sin. And, um, Actually, I'm just going to jump straight to the second point. And in this part here, we can see the pre-existence of Christ. And this is something important to grasp because the Jesus that we worship, we don't just worship the man who was um, alive, you know, sometime um, between 0 and 30 AD in um, Palestine or Israel of today. We worship a God, we worship a Jesus who existed before that. If you see here, it says he came and took the form of a man, implying that he was existing before he was a man. And also, if we read our Bible and know it well, we know that Jesus exists far after he um, went to the grave and rose again. We know that Jesus exists today and he's going to exist forever. Jesus is both pre existent and post existent. I'm making a word up there, but I hope you get it. It means he, he's going to exist even after everything's gone, after this present age goes. Jesus is the one who is always existing. And this is something important for us to grasp and worship. We're not just worshiping a man who did some amazing things, who said some wise sayings. We're actually worshiping Jesus who was before the world existed, present in the existence of the world, who came down, who redeemed us, who saved our sins. We worship a Jesus who is pre-existent. Uh, it's an important thing to grasp here, and um, it, it ties into the last thing, which is that Jesus is Lord. See, Jesus wasn't just before time, but he's actually also before all of creation, all of the created things. And I love what it says here. He's not just before everything on earth, but he's before everything in heaven and everything under the earth. And when it talks about those, the heavens, it's talking about, you know, angelic beings and under the earth, it's talking about the bad kind of spiritual beings that exist in our world. Um, and that's the reality of the Bible. And, um, and I, one thing we've got to grasp is that, um, that Jesus has... So when it, we say that Jesus is Lord, what it means to be Lord, it means to have dominion. And so when we call Jesus Lord, we're confessing that he has complete dominion over everything. Now, there's some awesome practical applications for that. If you call Jesus Lord of your life, you can tap into some great things that I'm not going to go there quite tonight. Talk to me afterwards. That'd be great. Um, but Jesus has complete control over everything on this earth, ever. That is the God who we worship when we're singing his name, when we're saying that, Jesus, you change everything. We're worshiping the God who existed before creation, who's going to exist after everything goes away, the God who has dominion and control over every single creative thing. This is the big God we worship. And I, it's, I, I, the reason why I'm saying this, I know it seems obvious, but at least to myself, it becomes easy to put God in too small of a box, you know, just to, to forget his bigness, to forget his largeness and his majesty. And uh, this is why we need to dig into our Bible, is because it reveals God to us and it shows us who we are praying to, it shows us who we're worshiping to, it shows us who we're giving our all to. Jesus is Lord of all, he is above everything. And um, something about the Bible that I, I, I'd love to just reveal is that, um, and I'm sure some of us know this, is that the Bible really likes to reference itself. It's a big web of like interrelated verses. If you've got a study Bible, you'll know that you know, a lot of them will have like a little thing on the side or under where it'll have like you know, a letter next to a verse and then it'll show you another verse that relates to that. Um, it's that, that deep web is important. I'm going to show us why um, exactly for this verse here. So Paul's words at the end of this verse that, every, that uh, sorry, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and those in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he says that, he's actually referencing um, a text from 600 years before this, uh, from the prophet Isaiah. See, Paul was a Jew. He knew his scripture very well. It's not a coincidence. He didn't just use these same words that Isaiah used by accident. He was using this on purpose, and he's actually trying to tell us something by this. So if we've got Isaiah up on the next slide there, um, 
I want us just to read this. Um, so this is, this is where he's referencing, particularly the bottom, but I got what's before it because it's important. Turn to me and be safe, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. By myself I swear, uttering my just decree, a word that will not return. To me every knee shall bend, and by me every tongue shall swear. What this is saying, uh, if you ever, has anyone ever had a Mormon or a J-Dub come to your door? Yes. Yep. So their thing is that Jesus is great, but he's not God. Paul right here, if you ever get one of them come to your door, you can, here's, here's a tip, write this in your notes, you can give this to them. Here is Paul basically saying straight out, Jesus is God. Who does, who does it say, that? back to the other side, who does it say that is saying this, to me every knee shall bend, but every tongue shall swear, for I am God. Wow. I am God. Paul's not making a mistake when he's referencing this here. So the New Testament, it's very clear that Jesus is God, but at the same time, it sometimes does it by kind of tricky measures. And the reason is that that was such a radical thing to say in those days and age. You could be killed for that. And so, but what Paul is very smart here, and he's showing that the God, that Jesus who we worship, who we sing praise to, he is God, Lord of all, above everything ever. There is nothing above him. Everything is below him. He is Lord of all. That is the Jesus who we worship. And I just want to encourage you, as you're praying, as you're worshiping throughout this week, engage with that Jesus. Engage with that Jesus who has everything under his hand, who nothing is too big for him. He is the King of all kings, Lord of all lords. That is the Jesus who we worship. Um, awesome. We'll, we'll go into the last section now, and um, I'll get the keys to the stage. I just love keys. Just, I'll get keys to the stage. You're such a good keys player, guys. Honestly, I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> Play something nice. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. Moving on. Um, last thing I want to talk about is God in us, God in, in you. Um, and I love this section because it just starts with this really contradictory kind of verse. And this, like, for anyone, this, this confuses a lot of, like, this would confuse a lot of Christians that are into, like, academic thoughts and bringing isms into all their beliefs because it's just completely just like it doesn't make sense, but it does. I'm going to show you why it makes sense. The verse I'm talking about um, is the first part here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when I was reading this, I was like, wait, so do I work out my salvation or does God work it out? And I think we should all be asking that. It's like, it seems like it's saying both. It's like, work out your own salvation, but it's God who works it out in you. It's like, well, if that's the case, then why did you tell me to work it out? This is my brain process that you're going to invite into right now. Um, but what this verse is saying is that this isn't an either-or question. This isn't just, it's going to be one or the other. The God who we worship, the God who we're in relationship with, we're in a relationship with. That's what it is. And a relationship involves the actions of two parties. That's what it, a relationship is always between two people working in a mutual kind of way, uh, whatever that is. But the relationship that this is talking about, this working out of your salvation and, and God working it in you, this isn't just a relationship, just something between two people. This is the ultimate relationship. This is a relationship between the creator and the created. This is a relationship between the perfect and the imperfect. This is a relationship between the infinite, almighty, and the finite, and the opposite of almighty. Uh, didn't get that far. Um, <laughs> and 
this is so powerful. It is so, and, and this is what, so if you've been coming to church for a while, you'll notice at the end of every service, we invite, we, we offer the opportunity for people to enter a relationship with Jesus. This is what we're talking about right here. The opportunity for a created being to come into relationship with its creator. And it's so powerful and it's so great. I'm excited we're going to do it again tonight. And I honestly believe that, that God is moving, the Holy Spirit is moving on people right now, just knocking the doors and being like, you're here for a reason. You're hearing this for a reason. This Bible is real. And I believe he's not just knocking on the doors of those who haven't made decision yet. I believe he's knocking on the doors of some of us here and maybe our relationship has got a bit dormant. You know, it's got a little bit stale. We, we haven't been working out our own salvation in fear and trembling. And when it says fear and trembling, it's not scary horror movie fear and trembling. It's awe and reverence. It's, oh my gosh, God, you are so big and how did you ever get involved in my life? Oh my gosh, God, how did you ever knock upon my door? What is happening? You were so, it is, it is complete silence and just awe before the almighty creator. That's what it's talking about. And I want to encourage you, whether you know Jesus yet or you don't, continue to work out your own salvation. Continue to work it out because as you do it, he's going to work it out as well. That you might know and begin to act in his good and perfect will. That's what he's going to do. And we're constantly taking steps towards that. And it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful relationship that there is. Um, I'll, 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 quickly, I'll, I'll quickly move on um, just to this, this last part here. Um, Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. See, Paul, he tells us, and this is the church, don't be grumblers, uh, which I think is pretty good advice, even without any theology behind it. Just don't be grumblers, but rather shine a light in a crooked and perverse generation. Now, when we hear that in, in this verse, it makes it sound like that's, you know, talking about the world outside of here, you know, um, where people are doing bad things, and bad things happen in the world. People die every day because people are murdered, you know. Um, people sell drugs to build up their worth by, and at the same process, destroying the lives of others. Bad things happen in the world. There is wickedness in the world. There is perverseness in the world. But, again, this here is a reference to another scripture, and if we can just flick to the next graph, um, the next slide. This is, these are the words of Moses, and they're his last words. And in this, he's talking about the Israelites after leaving, um, the Israelites who left Egypt, who were saved by God. And um, this is what he says about them. His people have acted corruptly towards him. This is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. Devious is just another word. It's the Hebrew for perverse, basically. I want to challenge us. It's so easy to look at everyone but us and be like, oh man, they've got some bad stuff going on in life. Man, they're, they're so susceptible to crookedness. But what we can see here and, it, and what we can tell from this is that the Israelites, the people of God, even they were susceptible to crookedness and perverseness entering their lives. And, and so are we, you know. We're Christians. We, we live with Jesus, but we are still susceptible to allowing that to enter our lives. And why were the Israelites crooked? Why were they perverse? It's because they grumbled against God. Yeah. It's because they didn't respect their salvation. It's because they didn't come to God with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence. Rather, they, they got their salvation from Egypt and just thought, oh, but life was so much better back there, you know. You know, but life is so much, I know I'm getting miraculously fed in the desert and I know that I'm now moving towards a promised land of purpose, but it was just easier back there. Nothing was changing. It was all the same. My encouragement to us is let's never be a grumbling generation. Let's never be a grumbling church. God is calling us to greater. God is calling us for more. He's calling us to take hold of our salvation, to take hold of our relationship with God and say, thank you. 
Thank you, because I know you want to transform people through me. I know that you've made me a light to the nations. I know that you have a good and perfect plan to work through me. So I'm not going to look at this church still. I'm, I'm going to, whenever those thoughts come that are crooked and perverse, thinking, oh, well, maybe I should just go back to my old ways. Maybe I should go back to the old way of life. Let me encourage you. You were built for more. God has more for you. Your salvation is the most valuable thing in the world. There is nothing. No, no, no. You could make a billion, trillion, gazillion dollars. It'll never be able to buy what your salvation is buying you. Your relationship with the infinite God. That is what we have, church. And that is something never to look at lightly. That's never something to look at with just, you know, oh, that's a nice thing that I've got there. It's the most amazing gift we've ever been given. And I, I, I'm challenged. I'm challenged by, by the story of the Israelites of, man, these people, they knew God. God moved in their lives, but yet they still grumbled and complained. Um, and, and just hear me. I'm, I'm not speaking this thinking, man, this is this is for everyone. You all need to just start, you know. I, I see a church who worships with such purity. I see a church that has such unity. I, I love it. It's awesome. I, I think we can all agree when we come here and when we worship, there is such unity. There is such a power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit is moving in this church here. Uh, but I, I, the reason why I say this is I'm just as susceptible to walk into these doors some weeks with some grumbling in my heart, with some, you know what, I'm, I'm a little discontent with the life that I've got right now in, in my heart. And it's okay. God can handle that but he's calling us to more. Right. He really is. So good, so good. Last thing, um, I love this. These are the words of Paul. Um, if we can just go back to the Philippians slide. Um, so that, uh, where do we start? Whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out, <coughs> pardon me, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should all be glad and rejoice with me. Last thing, just to bring across tonight, is that we should always rejoice at a sacrifice for Christ. We always should. There is no greater thing to do than to bring a sacrifice for Christ. Because, see, if we want to allow more of Jesus to enter our lives, it's always going to take sacrificing some of us. Jesus can enter our lives when we get rid of the usness, if that makes sense. John 3.30 puts it like this, let there be more of him and less of me. And that's always a sacrifice. But a sacrifice for Christ is never something to be neglected, is never something to regret, is never something to mourn or lament. A sacrifice for Christ is always something to be rejoiced because God is moving in your life. What more can you ask for than the creator, your creator, the person who brings purpose, the person who has all power, who has all dominion? What more can you ask for them for him to come and move in our lives? Our lives. That's a miracle in itself. If nothing else, that is a miracle right there. And I want to, I want to encourage, and I want to finish with this. And it's, it's nothing super spiritual. It's nothing like that. I am 100% convinced. I know we're doing this series for a reason. And I just want to encourage you. I feel like a sacrifice that I think we as a church are being called to make right now is just sacrificing our time to get into the Word again. That's a sacrifice right there to give your time to give 30 minutes in the morning and say, I'm going to read this Word. Even if it feels like I, you know, even if the last time I did, I felt like I got nothing out of it. What The Word of God is deep. It is a deep well. And let me tell you, as you begin to move on in life, as you begin to engage the Holy Spirit, as you begin to, I know it sounds super unspiritual, but even just, you know, get a commentary, find, get, study this stuff. Man, God can transform your life through this. That is a sacrifice. Let me encourage you, that is a sacrifice. Sacrifice is all, is, it's not about, uh, it's not always just some 
super spiritual thing. A lot of the time it's just doing the nitty gritty practical of I'm getting into my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship the Lord my God, I'm going to give my time to this because I want more of Jesus and less of me. And if I'm going to sacrifice my whole life, then I'm going to rejoice and so should everyone rejoice around me because there is more of Jesus in my life and that is something to be glorified.